Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most fascinating and really the most helpful leaders in the business community from around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, the Hieronymus Bosch of business. And come with me, my friend, because we are about to visit Studio 7 in the amazing grounds for sculpture. It's a 42-acre sculpture park and garden in Hamilton, New Jersey, with some of the most entertaining and most acclaimed pieces of sculpture done made out of it, absolutely all materials known to man, uh, by emerging artists, by very established artists. It's simply the best there is. And Studio 7, by our good fortune, is the bastion of one of the most renowned sculptors, Gyori Holosi, a gentleman of great gifts and insight. And that's whom we will be sitting at the feet of today. And there's two good reasons for making this pilgrimage with me. First, you will unearth that, that mental and spiritual creative fabric that brings a man to the top of his art. <clears throat> and, you'll, and you'll discover the, how in, in our uh, cash-concerned environs, a sculptor is able to make his way and bring not just artistic but commercial value to so many folks. And secondly, you're going to delve a bit deeper into a tool that you may have neglected, and that's your own artistic sense. Does an artist come into this globe with some sort of extra sensitivity born to her that uh, the rest of us just don't seem to have at the ready? Or, as I maintain, and Yuri, uh, is the artist just someone who has cultivated his innate vision? Someone who sees those colored patches of our senses and with our intellect and soul probes them a bit deeper than most. Uh, this is just one of the questions held up to light in Yuri Holosi's new book, Voices in an Artist's Head, who takes you through a creative process that works with anything that you are creating yourself, sir. So <clears throat> it is now available on Amazon. Do pick up and read it. And at this point, we will be going to uh, straight to the horse's mouth. So bring your hardworking intellect and join us as we make artistic pilgrimage. Well, we are now inside this amazing structure uh, that is Yore Holosi's studio, and I feel like I have just entered uh, some sort of Frankensteinian center with pieces of bodies all being worked on all around, and it's about as organized as a, a passionate fantasy that was rearranged by a whirlwind. Tools and stuff are absolutely everywhere. Yuri, uh, how long have you been in this studio here? I've been in the studio for over 20 years, not quite mm -hmm. 30. Uh -huh. And um, I've had different situations. I mean, in the building, I was here much earlier, but uh, when they revamped the, the building structures for making studios, uh, I'd say about 20-plus years. My goodness. And this is all part of the grounds for sculpture, uh, poised right on the edge of the state of New Jersey State's capital. And uh, your job here is what? What exactly, why did they bring you here and say, let's cram this talent into this small space? Well, originally I got the space because I used to be the assistant academic director for the 
apprenticeship program at the Johnson Atelier, mm-hmm. uh, and we had studios. And these studios are really there for the, many of the atelier people and some ex-atelier people uh, that have worked at the atelier. So it's mm-hmm. not something that is given out to the public that easily. In a sense, we sort of like resident artists, sculptors that are here. We have our art uh, artists in action, which incidentally is coming up in uh, March 24th, mm-hmm. uh, where people can come in and see our studios and look at the different things that are there and talk to the artists individually about what's going on. So we are in a, and sounds, we also teach classes as that well. That sounds fascinating. I think it's the kind of thing you actually do want to you actually do want to see a sculpture in the making by a person. But I mean, you know, let's let's get real here. We're talking sculpture. Sculpture is putting a slab of clay or a stone on a on a post and chipping away all that doesn't look like an elephant, right? I mean, you're you're making replicas here, right? Isn't that what sculpting no. is? Sculpting is not replicas. Okay? Oh, okay. You have artisans that make replicas. Mm-hmm. Sculptors, they make their own creations, their own imagination. Yes, you have a blunt of clay out there and you have some stone, but it has to have an imagination to make that particular piece creative and visual for the observer to really understand what's going on with the piece. Okay, now you need imagination. Now, in your marvelous book, uh, Voices in an Artist's Head, which, which, by the way, you all should get and read. Anyone doing a project should realize the emotional process that can make you move forward with immense alacrity. Do, do get this book. But you talk, uh, from the very beginning, you talk about seeing things through an artist's lens. Now, is, are you talking about just some magnificent artistic thing that only the elite artiste has, or are you talking about a spark of vision that... Uh, that we already hold but but neglect? We already hold but neglect. Mm -hmm. We tend not to, uh, because of the way we have been, shall we say, uh, mm, humanized or, Mm -hmm. you know, made into a more gentle, culturated, exactly. Mm -hmm. That would be a good word for it. Uh, We lost a a lot of our senses. If we had the senses of that, which, say, for instance, animals do have, Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. we would be able to receive a lot more things. We'd be more observant. We'd hear a lot more things. We'd, you know, taste. I mean, some of them actually mm. feel and taste through their gums and various other things. So mm. it's like, you know, we lost a lot. Artists, in a sense, you know, are able to see those things a little bit better. And the more you do it, the more you hone that particular uh, visual concept of, that you're looking for. But, but artists, also, and again, what you're saying is that artists are... Uh, about like football players who can throw a really, really good pass because they have worked very hard at regaining that particular skill, their particular vision, right? Again, that is training. Mm -hmm. But what takes it beyond that point Uh is that where your vision, okay, in other words, Uh is that football player throwing the ball just as far or is he throwing it a little extra far with a little extra emphasis in what's going into that catcher's hand. So that is, in a sense, uh, what I'm doing is that I'm taking something, if I'm doing a bust of a particular person, I'm not just replicating that individual's face, but I'm adding something that I see inside that individual into there, which the viewer in turn then can pick up and say, hey, Mm -hmm. You know, uh. this is what I see in this person. This is what I see. Then. This that isn't person. what Bart looks like. This is the essence of Bart. Exactly. I say. Now, just so we get an idea, we have uh, a couple of 
busts. We have like a few hundred all leering at us uh, rather hauntingly here. And uh, when you make a, a bust, let's say from the collarbone up, mm -hmm. uh, just give us a brief thumbnail sketch of the actual process. You're setting me down. You're going to make a bust. Just what is the, the basic? The process is you make the armature. You build up with clay. What's an armature? Armature is the interior structure that holds the, the, the piece, which also allows you to do various, in terms of shifting and finding certain gesturalizations. Ah, okay. Unlike, um, you know, I, there was one person who bust was being done, and we had to actually grout the head because it was a different shifting, so you had to tilt it so that it developed in more gestural things. That sounds painful. It sounds yeah. like something my wife has in mind for me after the insurance kicks in. But it's, uh, <laughs> anyway, well. But in any uh, case, um, that is gives you the freedom. Then you add on your clay, and from the clay you begin to work. Uh, once you have that piece completed, mm -hmm. you then do a rubber mold. From the rubber mold, then you make a casting inside the rubber mold, either in a direct material, mm -hmm. like using a plaster, or in my particular case, I would use a sawdust-resin mixture combination, or I can put it in wax, at which point then I would take it to a foundry, who in turn then turns it into bronze. Okay, so now that's the, the skeleton of the project. That's it. Let's give it some flesh, and, and I am looking at something you have... Uh, right behind me, I'm turning around and looking at this amazing thing that looks to me like a collection of barks, of, of tree barks that uh, I would find if I wandered through the forest for about 17 miles. What What is this uh, project? Uh, this particular project is uh, deals with animal architecture. Oh. I am part of a group that is uh, where we take various animals, instincts, mammals, birds, and we look at some of their architectural uh, processes is what they've done, and then we work our own uh, feel into that particular piece. Um, I did one previously to that, and of course my um, insect that I chose was a European hornet, which is about two inches long. Uh -huh. uh, but it's interesting enough, it, it, and the reason that I chose it was to establish a certain uh, similarity in terms of how it works how mm -hmm. it develops certain things, using the overlapping, having multiple openings, multiple this, and uh, also working with uh, the bark, which I tend to do with, in this particular case, use resin and sawdust, so we have similarities. Mm. Uh, when I had uh, realized, uh, when I was looking for a title for that one particular piece, uh, I realized that it also assimilated the Bach fugues, Mm. And in the pro in the sort of technical process of how to work with it, the layering in, in the layering one in after another, and coming in high, coming in low, and bringing from different elements, uh, all the way that bring in the final uh, orchestrated sound or creation. Right. That is correct. That is okay. correct. And that's what I sort of <laughs> laughingly I said to myself. Well, I guess I've been fuguing all my life because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now I just realized right. it through this piece. So yeah, I, I have been too until they caught me at it, but uh, <laughs> I think that's wonderful. Now, one of the things I see what you what you have done is you have an ins an instinctive animal that you are that is creating something in a process that it has done for eons, and it has evolved, and you are trying to display again, not make a replica, but give a vision of what this 
uh, is created. So you start your project, you said, and, and you kind of explained your vision to us right now. What do you put in your pack when you step up and say, all right, we're going to begin this project? What, where does it go in, in, uh, in the way that, that you have it in um, your voice in the artist's head? Uh, what do you take with you and set before you on the table when you start? When I set uh, before the table, like for instance in the Fugue and the Hornet Mansion, I um, was actually looking at doing a number of pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, at which point, when I had them, then I started to assemble them. Yeah. And in the process of assembling them, I would see, okay, this goes up top, this works fine here. No, now that I have this one here, this may not work here. I move it around. So I constantly shift, constantly leaving myself open to change. What Making emotions are you stuffing in the pack? What's that? What emotions are you stuffing in the pack? Uh, it's more like I'm trying to think like the hornet. Ah, okay. Okay, mm-hmm. and that is the emotion. Uh, so I sort of feel and I look, and, and because those little insects are very in, intuitive in terms of, okay, I need to build this over here because I have this thing going on, and so-and-so is building in my territory, so I have to you know, move <laughs> over to this territory. So that kind of, you know... Animation. It sounds like you're doing a sculpture of American business. I think this is it. <laughs> the turf wars, and, and I'm building, and everyone's in my but way. They don't fight. They don't fight. They oh, just said, well, okay, mm-hmm. fine. You know, you build here. Obvious. Okay, I'm going to build on top of you. <laughs> is this and so? You, you call the Hornet an evolutionary step up from Homo sapien, I suppose, due to the lack I of destructive war. Yeah. You know, okay. It's a loose term, but yes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so many of them are. Uh, now, one question as you're you're making this, and I, I don't want to take you away from uh, the more esoteric parts, but there is Truth, Beauty, and the Wolf at the Door. You are a professional sculptor. You have patrons to please. You have institutions that uh, afford you uh, uh, the offerings and many materials and so forth and so on. We We all face it. How do you blend that with this new sculpture that you're putting together? How do you... uh, is it a conflict, or is it, or is uh, the institution and the patron is all part of the process? Uh, it is not a conflict because, okay. in an egotistical way, mm-hmm. I have to please myself. Ah, okay. and I have to please the piece mm-hmm. because as I'm working on the piece, the piece continually communicates with me. Mm-hmm. So therefore, at that particular point of construction of development, uh, the viewer is not really part of it. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it is the vision that comes out, how I see it, how I feel it. Now, sometimes a viewer will see something and say, hey, you know, I don't know about that piece over there. No. It leaves me a question. Now, they may have a certain way of, you know, changing it, but, again, I have to feel with all of these different designs and patterns that go in that, all right, maybe, yeah, that is an issue, and I'll have to deal with it differently than what that person thought of because I'm looking at the total composition. Okay, you have you have an oversight like any like any good manager and overseer. I, I do remember a fabulous picture I saw in the Louvre of a donkey sitting there on a chair posing before the artist who was making a beautiful print and the title was This Artist Will Never Starve. Um, I, I but you have to be you're you're saying you have to deal with your vision as it is. Um so my there's another invasion, if you will, that, that you talk about in, in your book very, very insightfully. 
you uh, about data versus vision that you can get so caught up uh like uh, i am making uh a sculptor uh, a sculpture of this person's head and i've got to get the ears right i've got to get this right and and or or even something such as uh studying the hornets and how they make it you get caught up in the data and the stuff that must be there versus your vision which is what you want to convey uh Talk a little bit about that. Well, the data, okay, you take up to a certain point. Okay. You take what you want from the data that you use. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned earlier, when I'm working on this piece, I have to, like a good actor, think like a hornet. Mm -hmm. Think how it produces. As you can see here, I've used bark, unlike the first one where it's just all fabricated pieces. Right. This one I'm using bark because bark was also part of their natural element. Mm -hmm. Now... As I'm working on here, as I see different things, the hornet also encases things. It doesn't just make a simple nest. Mm -hmm. But if it sees a fuse box and it likes the fuse box, it'll wrap itself around it and make it mm -hmm. part of it. You know. Ah. So as you can see on this particular piece, the right. easel that I started to work yeah. is not part of the piece. <laughs> okay. That's wonderful. That's so great. Uh -huh. It becomes a fully development mm -hmm. of that process. I think there's a great mess, uh, a great uh, lesson to be learned from many entrepreneurs. Yuri, tell us uh, how folks can get a hold of your marvelous book, Voices in an Artist's Head. Um, you can get it through Amazon mm -hmm. and eventually through Barnes and Noble. Okay. Uh, the book should be completed by the end of the month. Uh, sent out. You're the end of February or the end no, of no, January? No, the end of January. Excuse me. January 2017. Right. So. Okay. Look in fact, uh, it's being signed off on, and it's hitting the presses as we speak. Wonderful. Thanks very much, Yuri. Uh, we'll come back in a moment. Okay. Again, thank you, Yuri, for those insights. And normally, now, uh, I would be back in our studios, and I would be providing you with utensils for today's Feast of Wisdom. But today we're going to cut all that short because we are at the Grounds for Sculpture, and... I will bring in, though, for those of you who were with us on our last show, the answer to last week's quotation, that is, the person who said, I think a simple rule of business is, if you do the things that are easier first, you can actually make a lot of progress. Those words came from none other than Facebook's founder, Mr. Mark Zuckerberg, who indeed has made a lot of progress, believe you me. And I see Yuri and his crew are returning back to the studio now, so uh, they're all going to come here, and we let's let's go on and meet them, and <clears throat> talk a little bit about some of his projects, but also uh, find a little bit about the, some of the students that he uh, is teaching and, and what he teaches them. Yuri, uh, we are back and with in your amazing phantasm of collections of body parts uh, and sculpting, sculpted pieces, and I look over in the corner and I see one that looks particularly regal, and I believe that is yourself. Is this part of the old Rembrandt idea that, that you're, when you're so broke you, you have to keep painting yourself? No, not really. I mean, I could paint myself as much as I want to, but uh, in this particular case I had a commission to do two individuals. One was a tribal warrior mm -hmm. uh, of the Hungarian area, Prince Arpad, and uh, the other was uh, Saint Stephen, who was the first king of Hungary and also a saint. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a model, so right. I was like, all right, well, 
This is of Hungarians. My background is Hungarian, so I got a beard. Why not? Let's right. do it. You know, so I made my bust, and then I fashioned it, and then once I had the, the pieces, I began to add things into it through the wax by pushing from the inside, warming the outside, pushing the inside, mm -hmm. and then developing each individual face. So there are similarities in there of me, mm -hmm. but I tried to take as much out of it as possible. Now, is it better to be a saint or a king? Uh, I'm still working on the sainthood, but it's good to be king. All right. I, I, I couldn't <laughs> agree with you more. Right? Yes, but, and so another, as, as you, you call each of your uh, new sculptures, your new projects, you call it a, an adventure. Uh, okay, where are you going when you come up with something new? When I come up with something new, I have no idea where I'm going. Okay. Because it is an adventure. I mean, when you're taking a hike, going somewhere, you know, and you're changing your path, okay, you, the areas in front of you are different than you've ever expected, and you may run into something, you know, mm -hmm. uh, an animal crossing that you hadn't seen before or whatever. Uh, same thing here is that, you know, I have a vision, I have a, an idea. Each of them develops their own stories mm -hmm. in development. And in that particular process, okay, the work gets done. Right. That is why I sort of feel very strongly for us as artists, memorizing, okay, it's not memorizing the work. I don't see, once the work is done, it's done. It's up to the people to view it. But for me, it's the memory of making those particular pieces ah. that is the beauty of it. So... It is true that uh, you, you're changing and moving within each project. You're, you aren't so much, you aren't following a path. You're bushwhacking, and That's I think a good that way, yeah. yeah. So one of the things is, is that you can, in, in sculpting, I have heard your students say you can always change what you're doing. Uh, how does how do you emotionally work through a change when you come to a part and you say, this was bloody all wrong. Uh, had to be on the other side of the sculpture or whatever. Well, when you're talking about something, I mean, that is a particular piece that is uh, Scheherazade in terms of a major composition, which is still in the process but is on hold at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, but in any case, uh, the works that when you're working on something and a change has to come in, the change I always sort of feel was meant to be somewhere. Mm -hmm. okay. And so I have to figure out how is it meant to be. So I'm giving these solutions. Mm -hmm. My process of working on a particular issue is that, okay, I have this problem. Mm -hmm. Now I have find myself two alternatives. Mm -hmm. As I take the choice of one or the other, I reach to the end point and I have two more alternatives. Then I make mm -hmm. another choice and I follow that and I have two more alternatives. I keep on doing. My point of the final goal is still there. Right. Your vision? Vision is still there. It's how to get there is my, mm -hmm. my traveling. So in other words, like a book, okay, mm -hmm. you pretty much have the idea what's on the front and pretty much say, okay, everybody except for this particular person and that particular person is going to die. Now, right. fill in the rest. Okay. And that's kind of how I'm also working with it. And you don't know really the ending until you're there. But uh, you you trust, I think this is a good point, you trust each step and choice you have made along the way, and you drop the other. Right. That is correct. So whether it's the path less taken or the path more taken, it's the path by God I'm going to take, and, and you follow it. And then I commit myself to it, yeah. Right. Okay. 
Now, uh, when do, when you are uh, making the, the the changes and the decisions, there's uh, one of the most creative parts of all of us. I think when we're working on a project is daydreaming, sort of thinking about it. And uh, you mentioned in your book that daydreams are valuable. So tell us, I'm working on a project. How can I sort of nudge my idle thoughts into a way that is, is constructive? I mean, daydreaming is fun. How do I hem that, funnel it towards something constructive that is going to put my project where I want it to be? You just let it go. You daydream, you daydream about the piece, you daydream sometimes about working on the piece. It could come in the middle of the night, it could come in early in the morning as you're trying to get up, and then you kind of roll your eyes and like, okay, well, da-da-da-da, you know, it's just a, okay, da-da-da-da-da, go in here, all right, okay, fine, you know, and then you have something interfering with that particular daydream that actually becomes the catalyst of an idea for another piece. Mm. And mm. then you begin to say, oh, hello, okay. Life works on going. Right. So have you ever had a, a situation where you have waked up in the morning and said, oh, my God, I have to change this. It's 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 wrong. It's, I have to reroute it entirely. Have you had that with a piece? I've had situations where I woke up and said, okay, I definitely need to deal with this because it's obviously bugging the hell out of me. Uh, but in terms of taking it apart or redoing it, I always find forward as a direction. Okay, Look at what's there, see as to what you're developing, look at uh, the different points and parts, and what is it that really holds you back? Sometimes okay. it's not the primary one, but it's the secondary or the one that's on the bottom. And you can find that one that's on the bottom and last on the list, then that's the one that all of a sudden begins <laughs> to turn everything you know, hunky-dory and make it right. Now, in addition to doing your own sculpture, you oversee the sculpture of your students. Um, and tell us a little bit about the, the students that you have within the workshop and how the system works. Well, they are working on their particular projects, and I'm sort of like a uh, mentor, counselor, advisor uh, in terms of what they're doing. And I give them some advice. I give them some coaching uh, as to what they're doing. This is not a specifically a class situation mm -hmm. here. But in case, like, for instance, Anne is working on an enlargement here, I made a quick sketch of a figure, and she is using the calipers and enlarging that piece in, to get the essence of what's in here, and that's what her assignment is in this particular case. She works with it. I see certain things uh, as she was working and developing, you know, getting the clay on, moving, that, moving faster, moving forward, telling her to pick up certain paces, changes, look at different things, look at how to observe with a caliper in terms of what is your negative space, what okay. is your positive spaces, your volume, and all that. You realize, so you're giving her technical things, but they're beyond the technique, beyond the, here's how to move from point A to point B. What is it that you see, the vast majority of your students coming in, what are they not seeing? What do you feel that you are, is most vital that you have to imbue in their minds? Patience. <laughs> Patience. It's one of those things that even I have to, you know, always keep in mind of is that as I'm working on certain things that, and it's going a little bit on the rough side, it's going a little slow, be patient, you'll get there. Yeah. Does everybody have ability? 
Everybody has some ability uh, in terms of, you know, and it's also being nurtured. Uh, it's like I said earlier in terms of how you see things, what you pick up from those particular points, is that's what you're trying to acquire and put into the piece. Those are like things that are very difficult to teach mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that has to come from the individual observing through the mind and through the heart to find that soul. Wonderful. Thank you very, very much. And now, since turnabout is fair play, let us turn to one of your students, and and perhaps we can lure out of her, uh, get her own take on the old master and his teachings. We are at a far, far corner of the studio. We are with one of Yuri's uh, protege students, who is an excellent sculptor, Anne Richards. And I see you've got your hand on the thigh of something. Uh, what, what in heaven's name is this? This is going to be my first figure work. So oh. I'm learning how to take something from a maquette, enlarge it, and create uh, what it will be a dancer. Oh. So a different experience, a different lesson. Well, I know that you have done uh, collarbone-up busts of people. You were even able to take one of the ugliest creatures I've ever seen and make him look handsome, so I I must admit I'm I'm overwhelmed. You have been uh, studying and working with Yuri for how long now? About five years. Okay. And he obviously has taught you all the techniques, move the clay this way, hit this uh, bust with a head, uh, with a large mallet, and so forth. Very important. uh, But what are... If you were to say, give me two things that you feel that he has taught you that were sort of a surprise to you in, in the art of sculpting. That I could do this. Because when I got this one-on-one class with him, I wondered what the heck I was going to do with it because I was terrified. And he was a very patient instructor. And I made a um, bust of my daughter. Uh-huh. And it took about a year. I think he thought it would take eight weeks. It took me a year because I was so scared <laughs> and didn't know what I was doing. But I had the leftover materials, and then I went home, and I made a sculpture all by myself of my husband's bust, um, which is really quite good, I thought. That's amazing. So what you're saying is that uh, he gave you the gift of not only enthusiasm but confidence, something that anyone working on a project should uh, instill to the team. And what else would you say? Well, I enjoy it. I absolutely love it because the working with the clay is just a wonderful experience. You've got the visual, you've got the tactile, and you can move it, and it's a very rewarding experience. And what I, I can say after that second one of my husband, my third one was a commission uh-huh. of Bart, uh-huh. and I now have other commissions. So I've gone from being terrified to being a commissioned sculptor, which says everything about Yuri. There's nothing like moving into the world of being a terrified pro uh, and entrepreneur all at once. And I, I will say one thing that I will just notice is that when Anne first came to me to do a sculpture, she wrote down three qualities, emotional qualities that she wanted to put of me before she did all the measuring of nose eyes. And, and I think that's saying something. Well, I think that's one thing about the clay. You try to pull the person out of that that. that piece of blob of soft medium and turn it into a, a person, a feeling. And, and so I think that's yeah. the most creative, challenging part of it is to get the essence of the person. That's uh, so true. It's like something any good wife tries to do. But uh, seriously, it is something that is you have learned a great lesson from a great master. Thank you. 
And I think we all have learned a great deal from this master. Yuri, thank you very much for coming on, and also Anne for contributing your uh, insights. And as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom on the Art of the CEO Show. And I am leaving you with today's business quotation. That is, who was the individual who said, for every complex, let me try that, for every complex problem, there is an answer that is clear, simple, and wrong. Uh, And as a hint, the author of this quote was one of the globe's really most penetrating wits and misanthropic philosophers who um, argued against religion so much of his life long. And remember, if you know the author of this quote, just scribble that author's name down as you believe him or her to be and send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com to win an absolutely power-thrusting, career-changing gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, if on your last creation you were able to please your boss or your patron, you will never starve. But if you pleased yourself, ah, then, my friend, the life of fulfillment awaits you. And do tune in next week to The Art of the CEO as we enter the celebration of Valentine's Romance and Flowers, specifically that Prince of Flowers, The Orchid, Orchid grower and expert Miss Susan Gange will be on hand to tell to explain to you why, when it comes to symbolizing your passion, it had better be an orchid. And to you who have gleefully been sharing the feast, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I and Yuri and Anne and all of the crew have, uh, have really had a good time bringing it to you. Uh, and I remember that you may download this and all our shows by visiting blogtalkradio.com slash theartofdceo. And finally, to you who have honored us with your time, may I say, as always, it has been a privilege. I thank you. <laughs>